Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to Unanchored Boston. This week's episode is brought to you, as always, by our good friends at Our Best Foods, featuring Our Best Meatballs, available at your favorite local grocer, and Cold Springs RV, your destination for all things camping in where? Where, New Hampshire, of course. And the great George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. We've got a great guest here today. Maybe the last time LaBelle and I ever speak here in the next hour or so. But you're in charge, Lobby. Take it away and introduce our great guest. He hates to hear that, that I'm in charge. I was never in charge. Um, <laughs> this is Upton Bell, former general manager of the New England Patriots, former co-host of Calling All Sports, 254-5678, at uh, the mighty, at the time, 38 states, WBC. Boy, things have changed in a lot in a lot of ways. Not you, Upton. You would never change, but things have changed. There's a job opening here It says... On my phone, seriously, Director of Social Media and Content Strategy for Craft Sports and Entertainment. I saw that. Oh, <laughs> oh you saw that. Have you applied yet? Oh, yeah, count me in. Don't forget Robert Kraft, not Bob, as you and I knew him. <laughs> right. Well, we all knew him, at Bob, at one point, but things, things move on. Upton, it's, it's great to see you. A lot to talk about. Certainly the Patriots are always front and foremost. And I guess what I really wanted to bring up, and I haven't talked to you about this, Lynch, yet, but both of you, there was a Sports Illustrated article that came out. I don't know if you saw it. I've been trying to get it. I mean, can't get it. I've seen yeah. it, seen the article online, but I can't get my hands on the article. I was going to hold it up. But it's all about sportscasters, local sportscasters, of which we're at. We're three of them, but two particularly on the Monday through Friday anchor desk, local sportscasters about the articles, the death of local sports anchors. Yep. That would include Lynch and I. So Upton, will give, you can give us opinion about local sportscasting. It's, it's over, isn't it, as we once knew it? Rest in peace. I, I, I never watch it. The, the minute I see it, I know I'm just going to get a few highlights you know, ho- hello, goodbye. I'm live here at, at uh, live or depending upon the host, dead at Boston Garden, and and that's it. And and as I said in my book, uh, citing you and Lynchy, and and uh, John Dennis, and Butch Stearns and other people, but particularly you three, in saying you're the only reason that I got a second TV set because I couldn't keep up. First of all, it went five or six minutes, uh, which was absolutely great. And if it was on today, we could cut out a lot of the crap that we already know. But every night, one of you were breaking a story. In fact, I remember when Will Will McDonough and I ended up over at uh, Channel 7, I used to say to Dennis, for Christ's sake, you know, these guys are always beating you to the punch. Let's get something going. I'm, so sure he, I'm sure he loved that. Up to <laughs> Who cares? So that's when he went to Will McDonough, Mr. Inside, and began to get scoops and say, well, we can compete with them. And so every night there was something. So, Lynch, do you believe these, that Upton's right, it's dead and buried, that we're done? That, I mean, it's obvious. I, I agree totally, Upton. I mean, I really agree with you. You know, uh, I got a, I got a text message the other day that one of, one of the stations in town, I won't mention, 
but this this guy was uh, uh, just beside himself that on that Saturday night sportscast did not mention that BU was going to the NCAA Frozen Four in hockey. He said they had a Celtics report. They didn't play, by the way, but they had a Celtics report, a Bruins report, a Patriots report, and a Red Sox report, and that was it. Well, what station was it, Mike? I'm not going to tell you. Well, come on, do I have to guess if I get will I get it right? Well, you're looking at probably the guy who used to work there. I I, I was going to say oh, Channel Five. I I know <laughs> I know all of this stuff. I now have three TV sets, so I can keep up to date with with all of the stuff going on. But that's the thing, and and it's really sad because the people today who watch sports on TV watch watch each one of the channels or whatever whatever they choose. They're really missing something. The highlights, Alan Miller said, your producer, Bob, I said, why, why are you leaving WBZ? I mean, you've been there you know, your whole lifetime. He said, because local sports is gone. He said, you can go on ESPN. You can go on anywhere and get this stuff. I can get it during the day. Why do I need to watch it at night? The reason I watch were, number one, the personalities, what they delivered, and also the other part of it is they did deliver. I said, oh my God, I, I missed a night. So I, I must have been missing some big scoop. What happened? Did Dave Gavitt leave Providence? I remember talking to you once and you said, I said to you, I think to a friend of mine, I know Dave Gavitt is going to leave Providence and go to the Celtics. I remember you saying to me, for Christ's sake, Upton, you should have told me earlier. I said, well, I had to be very, very careful. But that was the immediacy of it. I knew Lynch would, would have somebody. Uh, Dennis finally would get somebody because he knew you had to compete. If you didn't compete, you know, that was it. They, they were the days when, when sports got more th than the weather. I mean, you know the weather's going to be crappy. So who cares? <laughs> I would have to say, Upton, Mike and I were doing it today. The pressure on us would not be to get stories. I mean, there wasn't always, I mean, there always was a pressure to get stories, but you know, it was sports and it was a semi pressure. It was your own little world and you know, you guys deal with it, but get, don't get beat on any stories, but there was pressure there to get stories. Yeah. Not yeah. today. No, well, because it all comes in pre-packaged, pre-taped, pre-everything. Well, the other, the other thing is, and, and I really want to hold people's feet to the fire. And I know it's impossible. But I'm going to take an example of Bill Belichick. I, I watched his, his uh, put-to-sleep interview today from the NFL meetings. <laughs> and, and I said to myself, if Lynch or Lobel or, or even Dennis or, or anybody years ago would let him get away with what he got away with today, and I know they tried, they tried, but letting him get through after three years of doing zip, one playoff game, amid all sorts of controversy, and they let him get away at the end of, of the interview was saying, well, they said, you know, well, what, what about the future? What about what's happened the last three years? You know what he said? I'll stand on my record the last 25 years. You would not let him get away with that bullshit. He did say that. Did you see it? I didn't see it, Lynch. I saw it. I didn't see it. Lynch, oh, my God. I'll let my record stand in the last 25 years? Yes. Yeah. That, that, How about that's the last three years? And, and so 
I can remember some of the things, whether it was the Celtics having problems or the Red Sox or the Patriots, you guys, I can remember fights between people <laughs> saying that when they wouldn't answer, well, why won't you answer it? And you, you could get Rick Pitino with Larry Bird and Kevin McHale ain't walking through that door anymore. When's the last time you got a really good quote from any of these people? Or did they answer questions? Jalen Brown, he never would have gotten away with what he's gotten yeah. away with uh, in the past. You guys have been right on him. Well, what about Kanye West and his anti-Semitism? What about Kyrie Irving? Oh my God, the, the, I listen to these interviews and I say, okay, you don't have to be in attack mode, but your soft peddling questions are, are just, the public wants to know and all the outlets don't let them know. That is Upton Bell, the great former general manager of the New England Patriots, very outspoken former host of Calling All Sports. Lynch, you had... Don't you think? Don't you think that COVID has uh, is is to blame for a lot of this when everything was sort of handed to us? Uh, okay, you can't go in the locker rooms, you can't have any interacts with anybody. We're gonna we're gonna tape interviews with the players and feed them to you, and then they were spoon fed from all the teams, you know, softball questions and and just handed to you, and it became the norm, and everyone's one became. Mm, I would say that there's there's not a lot of uh, uh, aggressive pursuit uh, of, 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 uh, of stories because they were handed to them during COVID. Is that true? Is that really what happened? Because I was not on during COVID. I, yeah. I, what happened, Mike? What, what, what was that like? Well, I was part-time at the time, but I was still working there. I was doing high five. High fives were done because you couldn't go into the high schools or the colleges. And then with the, um, uh, with the, with the professional athletes, the, they would send their own camera in the locker room, and somebody that worked for the team would say, "Okay, what do you think about the Canadians tonight? You know, and what do you think about the uh, Blackhawks?" The team would send the camera in the, their cameras. The team, was, the team, the team would have their, their own their, their their own camera, yeah, and their own person would ask them questions that they thought the rate all the media would like to know, and so they you know interview Brad Marchand, introduce uh, Patrice Bergeron, introduce uh, Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum, and they would spoon feed those heads that wow. sound to the stations. So they have some content, but the content didn't have anything with any teeth in it. It was because they were just asked, you know, asking by a club employee. I mean, you would ask Captain Bell, how do you like Billy Sullivan? And how's it work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the only, Mike, and, and you make a really good point because here's what I think happened. One, the clubs then began to see hey, maybe we can manipulate this. Maybe we can get that going because maybe we've softened them all up to the point of when it is eventually open up, which it is, of course, now. Uh, but what I've seen is, and it's like everything else, I compare it to the Stockholm Syndrome. And that is, if, if after a while, eventually you begin to accept what your captors are saying to you, that, that you're really not oppressed. Uh, now, that, that's, that's a version of in some ways what we see now, because again, I check and listen, how many times do you really see anybody at the major channels, four, five, seven, 
Uh, I, I occasionally get it on Comcast when they're not in the Patriots back pocket or the Celtics back pocket. And I understand they do the games, but tell me the last time somebody uh, really pressed somebody on it. Watching the Belichick thing today, nobody, they tried in every which way, but the questions were never confrontational. And with a, and you guys know this because you've dealt with it. Step up to the plate is Mike Reese. Huh? Mike Reese might be the only guy that seems to step up to the plate. And, he and does. He but Belichick then tries to push him aside and oh, ignore him. I can remember your interview with Haywood Sullivan. I remember calling you after and said, it's one of the great moments of my life <clears throat> watching that. Now, I know later on you became kind of friends, but you confronted him about Yorkie, the Yorkie Trust, Buddy LaRue. I can remember that interview. And I said, I'm not going to get that today. I'm, and, and I'm not talking about uh, having to just. I, I can remember, remember sitting down with Bob Ryan and actually calling John Harrington on the air, the emperor that has no clothes. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean we, that wouldn't happen today, would it, Michael? No, no, absolutely not. You can't. Well, even, even your interview with Bob Ryan, when, and, and Ryan we love, all of us love him. I mean, he went crazy on the air. And you said, you know, I'll, I'll give you a mulligan on that. He still didn't go for it. I said, <laughs> I'm sorry what happened, but that's what we miss. You know, the, the, the drama sports is big and always will be big here. But listening to these monotone questions, but that's in the end. Listen, as a general manager and an owner, it's big, but there was a time when coverage of the sports was big. That time is long has come and gone. So it really is the sports themselves. People, it's sports in the phones, sports in, in cell phones. That's that's the perfect marriage. And you yeah. now, thank you. Welcome to the community. Right, right. Okay. Welcome. It says here, the new sign on the um, Turnpike of Massachusetts when you're coming in from either Rhode Island or Connecticut or New York or Maine or New Hampshire or whatever. You know, welcome to Massachusetts where you can now smoke, drink, and bet at your leisure. Well, <laughs> well believe me, we might not, not believe to see it. Welcome to Massachusetts, all of the above, plus legalized prostitution. I mean, whenever they can make money, they're going to make money. But again, think of the pressure that was on your guys you guys to compete. And not only that, when when I said to myself, this, this is really great. You've got a full five minutes or more, particularly if you had a good story. And nine. Started with, when I started, it was nine. We both all had nine minutes, like in 1981, 1982. And think about it. Now, particularly, they should go back to it. And I'll tell you why. <clears throat> Again, all of the news that I watch, let's say on Channel Five, and I I do watch a lot. I like I like Maria, uh, and I I like some of the people on there. Uh, but again, it's all retreads. ABC News follows with all the same stories. Yeah. If they were saying something new, yeah, we, we we get the local. Some poor guy falls off a skyscraper or something like that. But there's nothing that really keeps you going. But if you went on and let's say Mike Lynch was there and, and he is lined up 
an interview and he's pressing uh, Jalen Brown. Well, wait a minute, Jalen. Uh, you, you said this, you said that. I'd be watching, but I'm not going to watch with fungal practice at, at, at Fenway South. I know. Paddle. I know. Yeah. That, that's what we're getting. And yet, I, I knew this. When I first came to Boston with the Patriots, I remember Ernie Acorsi, who ended up going to the New York Giants as their general manager, a great friend of mine. <clears throat> so I want to tell you one thing. The media there will hold your feet to the fire from day one. And they did. You know what? In spite of all my problems with Billy Sullivan, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going back and forth. If I did something wrong, they were on me. If I did something right, they also were praising me. So I, I grew up in that atmosphere. I, I'm used to that. And I say now, who's, who's having their feet held to the fire? Look, look at the Red Sox. John Henry, he might as well be Howard Hughes. I am. You're, you're, you, you can't get anything out. And, and you know why? Because they know nobody is going to press him. That's why. How about, okay, there's so many questions. Hey, hold, hey Bob, hold, hold that thought for one second because, uh, you know, what? I'm getting a little hungry and I might be, I might be going grocery shopping after, after this show. So uh, if you go grocery shopping, don't forget to go to the frozen food section and look for a bag of our best meatballs. You buy look this. For, look for the Smiling Chef. Bob's got them right on the package right there. Here is with the Smiling Chef, Pablo Bell. Uh, you'll find great tasting meatballs for your next dinner or a hot snack. Remember, our best meatballs come in the resealable bag, Bob, right? No, don't yeah. do it upside down. Open. I resealed it. Now I got to, I don't know how to open it. <laughs> it makes it easy for you to store away before your next meal. And don't forget to download the money saving coupon available online at ourbestfoods.com and look for the smiling chef and our best foods and our best meatballs. I love meatballs. Good. I'm sure you're in the mail tomorrow. I've known a lot of meatballs, but I love them. Good. Yes, I, I know you have. Upton, uh, that's good, Mike. You did, that was a good job you did there. <laughs> I, I like We can do next week's, too. He's <laughs> the first commissioner of the National Football League. So we're talking what would about. You, what, would, what would your dad say, Upton, about legalized gambling in the <laughs> National Football well, League? Good one. Let me tell you a story I don't think I've ever told before. I always like to give you guys exclusives. All right. There have been different things talked about. 1946, night before the, the championship, Bears, the monsters of the Midway versus the New York Giants. <clears throat> My father is at home getting ready to take the train to New York to be there tomorrow for the championship game. He gets a call. And one thing I, I was telling Bob, Mike, uh, that in my house, there were like four or five phones. And, and I mean, it, it was, I, I heard every conversation my father had as a child, uh, all the way to the end of his life, because he talked very loud. He talked through dinner. He talked everything. There was a phone everywhere. And I always claimed if when he was buried, he should have been buried with the phone. <laughs> the call comes in, District Attorney Frank Hogan's office we need Mr. Bell to come to New York. There have been two bribes offered to the starting quarterback, Frank Filchok, and he is leading 
uh, running back Merrill Hapes. Uh, they did not report the bribes. We got a problem. So he gets on the train, he goes to New York, and they spend all night long. And remember then, college football was king. Pro football was barely hanging on. And, and something like this could have absolutely killed the league. So what they, he decided like at two o'clock in the morning, he would suspend Merrill Hapes for life. He would let Frank Filchuk, the quarterback of the Giants, play in the game, but then afterwards suspended him also for life. If he had not stepped in at that moment, the headlines, I mean, would have been even been worse. And I think that would have been the end of football because there were gamblers all over the place. Remember, you had the Black Sox scandal back in 1919, 1920. And so he put a stop to it right away. Now, what he did follow it with was he, he called Davey O'Brien, his former quarterback at, at the Eagles, who, who won the Heisman Trophy, who quit early. He had left to go to the FBI. He was he at one time the greatest pistol shot in America. He asked him to talk to J. Edgar Hoover uh, that what he would like to do was hire ex-FBI men in every city in the NFL to essentially follow the players and check out all gambling things. Uh, Hoover told him, go ahead, give them the names, which he did. He hired guys, and uh, FBI guys, ex-ones in every city. He also, which is still around today, he instructed every league team, at that time there were 12, that by Thursday each week, they had to report publicly on who, not only waivers, but they had to report uh, the injuries to any type of player, whatever the injury was. Well, that's, where it all, that's where that started. That's where it started with Burt Bell. And so then he made sure he got it to the newspapers. The other thing that he did is <clears throat> there was a red phone in our house <clears throat> uh, that my father always said, when that ring up to never pick it up. And on that red phone were gamblers. I'm going to give you the names. You'll love this. Hockey, Wingy, and Frisco Legs. <laughs> they, were, they were the bookies that would call him right after uh, Sunday's games and report the odds all the way up to game time of the following week. That he kept up with everything. And if he saw any fluctuation one way or another i was telling bob mike the other night remember one time it was sunday morning and he saw it might have been the bears but the point spread had really changed he called right in the locker room and said give me goddamn whether it was hallis whoever the coach was and he said i want to know he said the point spread has changed did you put everything on your list and he said, uh, uh, the coach said, well, somebody had the flu. He said, I don't, I don't give a damn whether they had a flu or not. Should have been on the list. But that little thing then, which is not as big maybe today, changed the whole odds on the game. And so that's what happened. So every week till the last day he was alive, he would get those reports. I think he, like me, would be totally against what's happened today. And as I told Dan Shaughnessy this week, I'm not, <clears throat> I think the game's better. I don't live in the past. The, the game is better. 
I like the rules change. I like everything about it. I like the TV. But what I don't like is now you're putting in the hands, and particularly I have grandchildren, you guys do. Uh, I, I checked my grandchildren last week. They've been betting since 15. And they said, now I can get it on the cell phone. In fact, this morning on Comcast Sports with, with the Bertrand and, and Patriots houseman, uh, Zolak, Zolak is complaining. Now, here's, here's a guy that does the Patriots color commentary is on a radio show. He's complaining because he was losing money on the NCAA this weekend uh, because he could do it on his cell phone. And I'm saying, and, th and then the cynicism of underneath it says, if you got a gambling problem, contact someone. <laughs> Jesus Christ, please give me a break. And that well, he craft on a piece of DraftKings. And Jerry Jones, the cynicism of the leagues, that's fine. If the Supreme Court passes it and the states pass it, and of course, you know the only reason they pass everything is to make money. They don't love the game. They could care less. Mike, isn't it interesting? Optinian, last week we had Jan Volk on, and uh, he talked about, Mike asked him the same question about how would Red feel about the gambling status today. And, you know, obviously Red and Bert Bell were contemporary. They pretty much felt the same thing as would anybody back in that day. As with any baseball commissioner back in that day, things obviously they've caved into the to the do, the dollar. Bob, as a friend of mine said years ago, George Young, the general manager of the Giants, who actually at one time worked for me, he said, "When they say it, it's not about the money, it's about the money." So, where, where is, I mean, somewhere along the line, is there not some integrity? Is there not something that you sell out for? I mean, the NFL could have just said, oh, okay, but we're not going to get in bed with gambling. I mean, the NFL network, it is unbelievable. They go on and they talk about the odds of the game. And then afterwards, they'll say, of course, if you've got a gambling problem, well, who the hell doesn't? <laughs> but but the thing <coughs> seeing now is... The media has been able to replace beers and cars with the gambling money. It's like found treasure. So the pressure on to get beers and cars has always been great because that you know that's what drives the machines. Cigarettes don't advertise anymore. So obviously, gambling and alcohol have become staples. Just remember. Just remember. Prostitution isn't far away if it's a moneymaker. So what what has happened, again, is I, I'll turn on uh, NBC, Sports Boston, whatever they call <coughs> titles and God, and, and you'll see the morning show with Bertrand and Zolak, and you'll see right behind them, BetMGM. <clears throat> and you'll see on Celtics telecast, as Sean as he talked this week about it, and, and you've got Scal, oh my God, don't get me started on him. You got Scal on there talking about in between plays. Well, you know, if you bet so-and-so, and I'm saying, when, when will this all end? 
it's going to get worse. And I'm listening. Well, we hope they'll win and at least take a pause. And that will be the <coughs> first scandal comes down in the NBA, which it's inevitable. Bob and Mike, there already has been one. That idiot for the Atlanta Falcons that walked right in to the gambling place and placed a when when the league rule says you can't gamble, the NFL walks right into the gambling place in Miami and places his bet. So then they suspend him for a year. Now he's back with Jacksonville. Here's the thing that I pointed out that I know about is you've got a friend, you've got an uncle, you play for the Patriots, you're an offensive guard, and you say, listen, can you place a bet for me? Nobody will know, period. And all it takes, Lynchy, you know, one or two, you miss your block. I mean, people miss their blocks all the time. Guy throws an incomplete pass. In this case, we might never know what happens in a game because it's too easy, particularly in football or basketball. That's, that's another thing quickly, and then you can move on. I'm, a, I'm playing for LaSalle. It's 19... 67. And on the team was a guy by the name of Eddie Bowler, pretty good player. So I remember each time <coughs> this guy would run out of the stands and start berating him. And I remember saying to him one day, you, you know, Eddie, what, what, what is that? He said, oh, it's my father. He's always angry at me. He said, I have to put up with it. One year later in the gambling scandal that year, that included St. Joe's players and players all over the country. We found out that guy wasn't his father. He was a gambler for berating him for, for making too many baskets. So, <coughs> I, I'm waiting, and it's kind of sad. Hey, you know what? Uh, we have, the camping season is right around the corner, guys. Right around the corner. You're up, did you ever go camping? Look at this. Of course I did. <laughs> I can't see it, Upton. <coughs> he lifted his top shirt. What was it? What did you say? This is a, it's the abs oh. that I got from Canada. <laughs> I wish I had <coughs> that. I, I did, but I hated it. There, there. But anyway. Well, if you're thinking about a new motorhome or you, a pop-up camper, go visit our friends at Cold Springs RV in where? Where? New Hampshire, of course. That's where. At Cold Springs RV, you'll find a huge selection of our latest and new and used and pre-owned campers for you to choose from. If you want to check out the great deals today, simply go to coldspringsrv.com. That's coldspringsrv.com. We're going to have a Lowy Cruiser up there one of these days, uh, like the Madden Cruiser. We're going to have a Lowy Cruiser. All right, let me ask you this question about gambling. I think that the pro athletes make so much money, they would never risk anything. But it's the college kids I'm worried about, that, that, that they've gotten to college kids in the past, CCMY, BC, the name two. Um, I don't fear any professional athlete being being bribed or, or listening to anybody, but I do I do fear the college athlete. Well, you already had it at BC, their basketball yeah. team. Rick Hume. But, but let, let me let me just disagree with you slightly, Mike. I'll tell you why. Nineteen forty six, my first uh, trip to a pro football camp, other than my father's when he owned the Eagles. Uh, and nineteen forty six, the average life of an NFL player was three and a half years. Yep. Now, in, in 2000 plus, 
2023, it's never changed. It is still three and a half. With all the, uh, uh, the things that they put in to change the game, make it safer and everything else like that. Also, uh, if you look at the bottom athletes, they're not making the millions of dollars. There are, there are a lot of athletes still in the NFL that are not. And I claim it is a big danger there, but I agree with you in the colleges, it's even bigger. I played with one, as I told you guys. Uh, the other thing I really don't like about it, and it's interesting last night, I don't know whether you guys saw it or not, uh, uh, replay it if, if you can. Charles Barkley on 60 Minutes, uh, who I interviewed years ago, Bob, for you, uh, when there was a question about, uh, he was married to a white wife, and I went down to Philadelphia, talked to him about it, and he's one of the few players that discuss the whole thing. I love the guy. I love everything that he does, even when he gets in hot water. And he, and he was asked, what is the one thing you don't like about it? Just what you said. He said, I don't like two things. He said, the first thing is, I don't like the idea of these guys being able to jump from one team to another. To me, it's, the NCAA is now totally professional sports. Uh, the other thing that he talked about is the dangers of, of those players being able to gamble, uh, being able to. Now, if you want to, let's say if Harvard wanted to, which they, they don't, if Harvard wants to now have to recruit the best players in the country, they are going to have to get their alumni to put up big bucks. It's no different than the pro game. So you're right. They're open to everything now. There's they don't finish school if they're the best, particularly in basketball. They can jump from one place to another. There is no loyalty at all. They're getting paid off by everybody under the sun. And now they can gamble like mad. So I agree. It, there's no difference. That's, that's the shame of it. There's not the difference between the pro game and the college game. Well, Mike, I'm sure you, I got a list of things that I want to ask Upton and you both about. And that, that includes the story about the Red Sox trying to trademark the word Boston. <laughs> claiming that it was, I, you saw the story, right? Both of you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's so outrageous. I don't even know if the Globe did, had the courage to print it. I know the Herald did. But the um, Sox were trying to trademark the word Boston, but they why? Claim, what, 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 what's the upside for them in that? Well, major, they claim it was a major league baseball project that the Red Sox were one of three teams that they tried to get trademarked the names Houston, Seattle, and Boston. Why? Why do people get trademarks? I don't know. Boston Beer Works, you think you think it would be an, an infringement? I mean, it's so ridiculous, you can't even comprehend what that would be like. Then you'll trademark the United States of America, and then you'll well, have they, to they, they, use it. They can jump on anything and claim, let's say, if, if your meatballs uh, wanted to use Boston, get your Boston meatballs, you can hit a home run, for instance. They can step in and stop that. If they, if they had that, they'd say, wait a minute, that's an infringement upon our rights. Pay me. I mean, that's that's one of the things. I think it's one of the bigger ripoffs 
and they hide behind Major League Baseball. I know, it's really amazing that they, they have really outdone themselves in distancing themselves from Major League Baseball. <laughs> I, I think that brings up uh, even a bigger point, is that John Henry came riding in here with Larry Lucchino and, and uh, really a, a, a group of people, Theo Epstein, who I still believe uh, when they lost Theo Epstein, they lost everything, even though they won a few more championships. And, and basically, they I could see it because I, I've been around new owners that come in and they want to do the job and let's end the curse and everything else like that. After four, it's all business now, boys. Uh, it's all how, how can we cut the payroll? Uh, it's no longer important. You got bigger and bigger. Then, you know, they got a soccer team. They've got all these things. They, they've got LeBron James. It's no longer what you think about the Red Sox. And maybe that's true about all business now. But to me, I try my best to pay no attention to that. Upton, why, why should they care about that day-to-day -day bottom line with a, pot, with a plus next to it when they are still like one of the top 10 most valuable sports franchises in the world, including professional soccer, including professional football, and including professional baseball and basketball. All these things are factored in, and the Red Sox are the one of the most valuable and the top top 10 most valuable of all. You know, why, why should they care about, as much as the fans do, viscerally care about the day-to-day product on the field when it has the product on the field has no impact on the bottom line. It, you think it would have a direct impact, but it's having less and less because they have Fenway Park. I think I but I think slowly but surely that's changing. Uh, I think you're going to see less and less people going to the games each year. Uh, that it, it, I, I never knew a millionaire and I was around a lot of them particularly mm. growing up. I never knew a millionaire that didn't want to keep making more and more and more money. And if, if they, they might want to be sportsmen, although I think that's dead too. Uh, that, that people that, that I grew up with that own professional football teams, they, they really first and foremost, they are fans, but they're also football people. They do the business. Uh, but I think in all of that, I grew up around, I knew a lot of the baseball owners I knew a lot of the basketball owners. I used to sit on the bench with Eddie Gottlieb with the old Warriors. Uh, they were di they were different cats. Today you have people, look at the National Football League, the most successful next to soccer in the world business. Very few, if any, uh, have no real relation to the game. They're in it, it's a business. They, and it always to a degree has been a business, but now, you try to talk to any of them really about football, they'll send you to somebody else. They are about the money. No problem, but don't tell me it's a sport. It's a business. And it's become bigger and bigger business. Uh, you know, Daniel Snyder is going to get, here's a guy that did everything wrong about the game in all sorts of trouble. This guy's gonna get near $6 billion for doing one of the worst jobs in the history of pro football. It's all about the money. So why should John Henry care now? He's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. 
The only reason he might start caring, which Bob Kraft evidently has started to do uh, with Belichick, hopefully, <clears throat> is that when he sees less and less going to that shrine that they keep calling Fenway Park as it falls down around itself, is that uh, what what they're, what he's going to find one day is wake up uh, with this with this bargain basement crap they're doing with Hein Bloom and see that people don't any longer love it. I mean, when I first came here, the Red Sox were number one. The Celtics kept winning. Uh, the Bruins won. But the Red Sox, even if they were lousy, they were in people's hearts. I don't think so anymore. I don't think people care. Well, no, people, I don't. I don't think it matters who the Red Sox are playing. They could be playing the Bad News Bears on on May first, and they're still going to get thirty five thousand people come to the ballpark because it's it's a it's a destination point. It's a tourist attraction. That's what it is. They don't care about they don't care about the game. They don't care about what's happening. They just want to be at Fenway Park, buy some hats, buy some popcorn, take a lot of pictures, and tell everybody they were at Fenway. But, but Mike, uh, and I, I do agree with that. They're not, they're not any longer coming for baseball. Hmm. They're, they're coming to be entertained. But on the other hand, if they keep doing what they've done the last three or four years, uh, their television ratings have been down, which you know lures people in, and, and their crowds are getting less and less. It, it's, a small, it's a slow, if they don't stop it, and change what they're doing, which I don't believe they will, by the way. Uh, it will be a slow move to less and less and less. Who do you, when you think about the top teams and stories in New England, what do you think about now? First, Patriots, even, right? yeah, you think about the Patriots, even with all their problems, because everybody's interested in, uh, you know, what's Belichick going to do? Will he ever win without Brady? Two, the Celtics. Three, the Bruins, and if the Bruins win this year, they'll they'll be more popular. When is the last time you guys, who covered it for years, the Red Sox, when was the last time the Red Sox were dead-ass last? Now, by the way, I'm going to remind you that Thursday's opening day. Really? Well, I'll yeah. arrange that day to take a nap. Well, I'm just... <laughs> I remember when opening day was... An event we look for and plan for. State holiday. Well, opening day, 1971, we were in the basement of left field at a bowling alley. That's where the offices were. I yep. remember the first time walking in uh, right after my press conference and say, oh, my God, what I get myself into. Uh, they're, they're, the, my assistant general manager who I hired actually – his office was in the men's room. And, <laughs> but on opening day, the baseballs hit the left field. I could look at the top of my office and see the baseballs. They'd come through like the woodwork. They, they were in this netting at the top. I said, Jesus Christ, I, I can't believe this. But that, but that's what it was. They were it. And I understand ratings change. Businesses change, sports change. But in this case, we are watching, unless something really happens, we are watching the death knell of the Red Sox. Do you think that coincides with the, the lack of popularity of baseball 
Now, save for the, the three great rule changes this year, which should improve the game, but the way it's going and the young people not watching it, do you think that coincides with what's happening with the game or is it indigenous to the Red Sox? Both, Mike. <clears throat> Both. Uh, I, I think um, I can remember because when, when my father uh, was owner of the Eagles, but also commissioner, I can remember sitting in the dugout as a kid with Connie Mack. I'd sit in the pregame. <laughs> Matt, you could get near anything today. Sitting there, <clears throat> he's the last guy, never never wore uniform, shirt tied like a topper hat, everything. And, and watch him, uh, you know, give signals to the outfielders and the infielders and stuff like that. And and what the game really was. I mean, you, the games then started at 8 o'clock, the Athletics and the Phillies at Chai Park. And the games were over before 10. And you've got a lot of people that will go. I think you're right. What's happened now, the young people want action. And they're not getting action. And they might have pulled them back themselves back off the precipice uh, with now we're going to get shorter games. Yeah. I also wonder, is it almost too late? Is it, have you already lost? <coughs> the young, you know what the young people, because I talk to my grandkids all the time, as I'm sure you guys do. They, they don't care about baseball. They, they, you know, they might want to play it or something like that. But when, when I, I ask them all the time, what do you like? Love hockey, action. Love football, action. Basketball, action. What about baseball? Uh, what about Belichick? What about him? Yeah, well, I just said a couple things, Mike. Uh, Mike, what was that? Fishing line or what? Was, oh, that was a little cross stick. Oh, okay. I didn't, wasn't sure if you were going, <laughs> if you were giving me a signal. Let's get out of here. Fishing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I was going to ask you about Belichick and, and his future because it just kind of seems it's over, Bill. I mean, it's like, thank you for a job well done, and you'll get all the accolades you're going to get and all the Hall of Fame stuff. So what if you don't pass Shula? You know what? It's over. If you watch his press conference today, you're he, he, a little bit on ESPN as we're on our – Up there, let me ask. Did he have orange, a glass of orange juice with him? Uh, pre pre uh, interview, yeah. Okay. All right. No, no, it, yeah, he he did, and and here's here's when people ask me way before all this trouble started, what what who would you pick? Which I did did my vote. Who would you pick as the greatest coaches of all time? And when I hear people say here, Belichick is the greatest coach of all time. And it was funny, I was watching an interview of, uh, of Mike and, and Bob about five, six years ago. I think it was Mark Bertrand and whoever it was. It was on the night show. And he said, you know, Belichick is the greatest coach of all time. <clears throat> so I think Ron Borges was on the show and he said, did you see, did you see Belichick play? <laughs> Our coach? And he said, oh, no. And, and the whole thing of throwing out that he is the greatest coach of all time and Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. And so I said the greatest coach of all time, and I can prove it, is Paul Brown. He changed the game. 
There's still many things that people use in it today. 10 straight years with every type of player, he went to the championship game before you had everybody and their mother making the playoffs. Bel it, Belichick may agree with you, you know what, then. Yeah. Well, I know that he, I know that he, his dad, him. yeah, they, his dad, know, yeah. They're, they're, forget Shula and going for the record. He's number one. Number two, I put Lombardi because Lombardi won five out of seven years and beat us in many of the of the championship or playoff games. I pick him number two. Number three and four are Bill Walsh, who changed the whole game. See, to me, the great coaches with the victories are the innovators. And, and look at this. Walsh made the pass the key weapon, the short pass with Montana instead of the run. He changed, he really, he really helped change the game. Then you got Noel, who I would pick in there as because he changed the whole, he took 30, 40 years of losing and changed it all around and made defense. Really, he was kind of the forerunner of that thing. Then I, then I would bring in Shula. And the reason is, I know everybody hates him around here. And I, I learned with him and, and came up through him, saw him. Remember, even though he didn't win a Super Bowl after 1973, but he also won in a time where there weren't so many playoffs. But he also, he won with the Unitas. He won with Greasy, but a lot of people forget, unlike Belichick yet, he took a guy to the Super Bowl and almost beat the Redskins, a quarterback nobody ever heard of. And, oh. and, the, and the quarterback never did anything <clears throat> after that. I think that he was a very brilliant coach, but people will never forget he lost to the Jets when I was there in 1968. The other guy that I would pick over Belichick is the guy who won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks, and none of them ever turned out to be really great quarterbacks, and that's Joe Gibbs. Yeah. So nobody around here is willing to consider anybody else because it's easy to go on a show and say, Belichick, greatest of all time. Brady, greatest of all time. Now, in the case of Brady, I would take Brady and Unitas in their different eras and say, they're the two greatest quarterbacks I've ever seen. Not because they could scramble, not because they were the greatest in the shotgun, none of that. They had the ability to take teams that weren't maybe so great, they were good, and project them on to winning championships, but not only that, being good every year. They were the best I have ever seen. Would I pick one over the other? I, I probably lean a little bit more towards Brady uh, because it was longer. In those days, Brady wouldn't have lasted. In today's game, Unitas would because of the injury situation. Yep. So, so I look at but but I think people are too careless in saying and repeating, oh my God, Belichick's the greatest of all time. But I'll also remind you this, the greatest of all time, Paul Brown, 
was essentially fired after I think three or four years because he was no longer winning. And in this case, with Belichick, if I were Kraft, last year after that disgrace, no other coach ever brought in two buddies that never had coached the position before and got away with going a full season and throwing it totally away. So if I were the owner last year and he came and said, this is what we're doing, I'd say, that's good. That's what you want. I don't agree. This is not a good thing. But I want to remind you, if it turns out a disaster, you're gone. You know, you made you made you made Lobel disappear. You know that? You see that? Not before. Where are you, Bob? Bob, you down there? Bob, you down there somewhere? <laughs> I mean, he fell on the floor. <laughs> hey, this will give me a chance to get a get a little plug in for our good friend George Gray, and maybe uh, he can good pick uh, Bob Bob up if Bob's out in the street. If you're thinking about a new vehicle, go where we go. We've been going there for years. Go see our friend George Gray at George Gray's Lexington Toyota. We've been customers for years because we know George will George Gray is going to treat you right. They're a family-owned and operated dealership that we trust and you can trust as well. Go see the great George Gray at Lexington Toyota. And he's probably out right now picking Lobel up and bringing him back to the show somewhere. Um, Lobel's probably looking for a free ride someplace. But uh, he's, he's supposed to be popping back with us uh, up, up in a second, right here. Um, will we ever see a team, uh, will we ever see a dynasty again? Um, you know, we've had dynasties. We've had the, the Niners. We've had the Patriots. We've had the Steelers. We've had the Dolphins. We've had the Packers, which have blah, 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 blah. But are we going to see a team, like, you know, win four, three or four world championships? No. Not, not can't, you don't think Kansas City's on the edge of it? Really? I, I, well, I, let me put it this way. is It has nothing to do with Kansas City and, and, in my opinion, the greatest quarterback right now, Patrick McCombs. But the way that not only free agency, uh, but a lot of other things that are taking place in, in the NFL, uh, really the, the, whole, the whole idea was, goes all the way back again, I hate to keep repeating it to my father, who was coined the phrase on any given Sunday, any team can beat any other team. And the way he did it uh, back in the early 50s is he would sit at home with this big chessboard and he would move all the different teams around till they got it to the point where in the beginning through the first six games, uh, all the strong teams would play all the strong teams and all the weak teams would play all the weak teams. And as a result, by mid-season, everybody was in the race. Yeah. That was the early part of it. Then Pete Rozelle took it to even a farther point of where he essentially set it up where everybody was kind of equal. There, you, you weren't going to see the Cleveland Browns or, or the Green Bay Packers or the Raiders or some, some of the teams of the early areas. Pete wanted to, along with expanding to 32 teams, which I think are way too many, but, but set it up as the game that way. Then added free agency, where guys are not totally free like baseball or basketball. Yep. It's limited free agency the way it is. That, that basically 
what you have now is, and, and add the injury factor. And also, Mike, uh, which I think, again, is another subject, 17 games are way too many. And, and the injuries are, are just horrific, what's going on. And playing on Sunday, Monday, Thursday, then Saturday later in the season is just really bad for the players. Not that the owners care about that. But I just, I think it's impossible almost now to find a run. You'll never see a run like the Patriots again. But I also remind you, which might make some of your argument is, you're never going to see Tom Brady again either. Yeah. You're, you're, you're not, he had probably the highest intelligence football intelligence of any player I've seen outside of Unitas. And you can't teach that. Yeah. You you really can't teach it. So um, Mahomes has a lot of it, but Mahomes is based more on great physical ability. Uh, the way and he not only can scramble, but the other thing I like about him is what he did against the Eagles. He was badly injured. Yeah. And and I said to myself, boy, how many times did I see United take some of the worst beatings I've ever seen and get up? And one time he was he was bleeding and and I mean really badly hurt. And the official said to Unitas, uh, Mr. Unitas, we can give you a few more seconds. And he said, shut the F up and blow the whistle. <laughs> going out on the sideline, they're going like, holy shit, what is this? But yeah. Brady was so unique. And that's why I say I have great doubts, even if Belichick was in his 40s, that he can win again like that, because you, you're not going to get a quarterback like Brady that ever again. So, I, I, again, it's really hard to say that you can say to yourself, maybe Kansas City maybe wins three over a period of time. But it, it's not not that every year that you're going to see that. And again, look what's happened. You've got Buffalo there. I mean, this division now went from the tomato can division to yeah. everybody having a shot. And if Rogers uh, coming out of darkness, <laughs> uh, if Rogers goes to the Jets, I think the Jets are the best team in the division. They're close. So, I still like Buffalo, but... I do too. But but the Jets have younger players in good positions to make that move. I, I, I like... Well, I, I think there are a lot... There are too many good teams out there now. You got Cincinnati, you got Buffalo, maybe the Jets, maybe Miami. You got Kansas City. You know, you, you have teams that are all in there. And when you have that many good teams, barring injury, of course, then basically it's hard to have a dynasty. Remember here, the Patriots are almost guaranteed every year because of steps that they played number one in their own division. Because of that, automatically they were in the first playoff game or they were only had to play two games or one game to get there. Yeah. Not anymore. Are you going to see that? Because most of the divisions are too tough. Let's see what happens with the West, too. That can all change with different ownership, 
and, and a different coach chilling out there in Denver. So too many things mitigate against it. What do you think? You're an ex-football player. <laughs> I, I think right now uh, that, that Kansas City is the team to beat. They, But, you know, it, it's free agency. It changes everything. It is Lobel. He's back. We found him. Where the hell have you been? You picking up a car? No, that's right. You think you can try it? No, no, yeah, no. I'm... And we lost your audio, Bob. Right? Uh, two flour donuts, okay. <laughs> so, Ben, I, I, I just, uh, uh, again. I have the meatballs in my car. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, again, what, what, what we're really looking at here is the leavening out of, of, of all of this. And you have to really add in uh, the chance of, of really bad injuries because I remember saying to one of one of our Colt players back in 1963, we had just gotten a Sona, uh, which was big then. And I said, when you play on Sunday, how many days does it take for you to recover? And he said, by Saturday. Now think of it now. 17 games, Monday, Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night, Saturday, playing 17 games. I just don't think so. And, and believe me, they're going to add the, the 18th game eventually because it makes sense for them for television or wherever it is. The players' bodies can't keep up. And that's, by the way, why you're seeing all the new rules that they want to put in. The punt return and the kickoff is is gone with the hula hoop. Goodbye. Two of the most exciting plays in the game. And they say, okay, they're too dangerous. We want to cut down on the injuries. But you're, ta you're taking out the game. The other thing is somebody said the other night, Jesus, I get sick and tired of watching everybody on the shotgun. I watch play after play of the guy sitting there in the shotgun. What do you see in college? You see the shotgun and the pro too. And you say, Jesus, is there any difference? Does anybody get under center? Does anybody run the football? They don't. Oh, Bob, we missed you. No, I'm sorry. It's my fault. I'm just chasing his rainbow, chasing another dream. <laughs> we were looking for you down below. We didn't know if you fell down the. A little slot down there. We were looking. We couldn't find you. Perhaps, perhaps would be less, less to talk about. Just another dream going to waste. Uh, did we decide Belichick's going to stick around? Did we decide the USFL is back to stay? And that Upton's going to get another team in Charlotte? What have you decided? <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. Yes, no, and yes. Okay. I, don't, I forgot the questions. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's been that kind of day. Well, well, let, let, me, let me pose this to you guys. Yeah. On the front lines. If if you were uh, anchoring today and interviewing as you both did, uh, and Jalen Brown gives out these interviews to the New York Times and everybody else in the middle of a run to try and catch uh, Milwaukee, and, and he starts talking about, you know, this and that, and I'm not loved, 
and Boston's not very good, and maybe it'd be better in another city. And by the way, I've been to all these other cities, I can tell you this. Atlanta is no more or less prejudiced than, than Boston or any of these other places. I've been there many times. But in the middle of all of this, when he's asked by the New York Times two key things, what about Kyrie Irving and, and what about Kanye West and their anti-Semitic statements, he said, I'm not answering. So what 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 would you guys do with it today? Because I, I think it's BS. I mean, pro sports is not about being loved. It's about producing. And you know, sooner or later, you're going to get fired. That's our business. And that's football's business. That's all of them. You are commodities. Scream me about being a commodity. Everybody's a damn commodity. That's what it is. That's why you make so much money. So what would you guys do? Well, you can't make them. You can't make them answer questions. No, you can't. I understand. But but you can press them. Nobody pressed them. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's like we said. It's it. Everything is just you know. You get two and a half minutes. Get it in. Get it out. Tell what the four teams doing and heck with anything else. It's just. Uh, I, I wish there was more of a reason to tune in and watch. You know, you know the fact that he responds the way he does to the media, I just kind of wonder about what that atmosphere and what that attitude around interviews are. It's, it's not a lot of local people, not a lot of friendly faces. Back, back then, we we could ask questions i think would be much easier because it was a much better working relationship whether it was good or bad and it wasn't always good still had a relationship and they still noted yeah they still knew that in the, in the final analysis we were an asset no matter what we said um, but i think it's different up to that the climate is different and to me, it's so frustrating, and one of the reasons why I don't really particularly watch evening news, of course, is that uh, the virtual interviews are are all the same. The same backdrop, same sponsors in the back, same uh, responses. It's so much easier to respond virtually than it is in person. You don't, you don't touch the other person's soul or heart. You just... I don't know what you touch, but it's not that body part you'd be interested in. Well, you can't. And then one, one of the things, <clears throat> even with our, our, our interviews with you guys, I mean, I, I interview both of you with you in the studio. And as much as this and I'm really enjoying this, if I was sitting in the studio with you, Mike, or with you, Bob, and and we were talking about things you zeroed in on something i couldn't escape it i can escape it now i mean there, there is intimacy with this but there's not real intimacy of sitting in there the mike you doing the sunday night stuff and bob you originally doing it now i remember one time i think i threatened to punch somebody on the air on your show 
And Ellen, yeah, I, 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 I vulgar. Whoever it was, and LaBelle's looking over at me like, please don't do this. Um, <laughs> there, there was excitement to see I'm going in and sitting down with you guys on air, live, knowing, you know what? I can't duck it. I can duck it here if I wanted to. I mean, it's, do you get what I mean? There's, there's no. We do. You know, of course, we had a. You know, in this, you know, evaluated by media in the newspaper. Don't forget the Monica Collins and Jim Bakers and the Ed Siegels and the Jack Craigs. This was a whole separate industry of of evaluating local sports and television personalities. We were like celebrities and fodder for all kinds of rumors and non-rumors, relations stories, if you will. The reality was... Uh, you know, not today. There's nobody chasing the rabbit today. There are no foxes out there today. We have, we don't have that kind of. But back then, if you're in an interview, my point is, if you're in an interview situation, as Mike and I would be with you, Upton, because we know that we're being evaluated, and is that we'd have to be forced to ask tough questions, you know, without having I would call it journalistic. Instinct. You're going to force to ask the questions because you know you're going to get killed uh, paper or whatever if you don't. Again, when I see the interviews, this is a little bit different. This is long form. We get a chance to really do it. Um, but I, every time I turn on an interview, whether it's NBC Boston or whatever, it's longer interviews, and I see somebody in. And that's, I know it's all part of the business. I see they got their headset in and I see they're sitting on their couch and, and they're doing an interview and I'm saying, okay, but it's not the real thing. It's not, it's not coming in and having to face somebody and no, you're not going to get off the hook. You can get off the hook by doing it. This, this is the form that we need to do now because what it is. You know what? We all kind of swim around the hook and hope we don't get hooked. But eventually, <laughs> at some point, you're on the hook. I don't care who you are or what you do. At some point, you're on the hook. And if you're holding a microphone, you only hope it's this moment. Yeah, well, again, again, you, you guys had time. I mean, when the Red Sox were in the playoffs and I'd see Lynchy on... on one shot and I have the, the other TV with Bob on another shot and you're both like almost side to side but you got to get these interviews in before the World Series of the Games and you're down there live and the crowd screaming and all the other stuff and you're yelling into the mic and everything. that's to me the immediacy now it's like a setup shop a shot for MGM Studios you know you're, you're there the rehearsal is there and the person now what's ask up that's really the crowd interviews. I'm just going to ask Mike if he had bigger, like all the TV people have, people flipping you the bird or giving the, the big fu uh, behind you uh, while you're up. How did you counteract that? <laughs> well, throwing things when you're at City Hall at a Patriots parade or something, you're sitting on top of the truck. Yeah, you're a perfect target. 
you know, cans of flying at you, bottles of flying at you. You know, uh, that's pretty, that was, that was pretty wild. Well, yeah. How about, how about, because McDonough and I were there when we were at Channel 7 doing the Will and Upton thing, going back and forth. I remember going to City Hall when, when uh, and Bob, you had covered uh, that uh, when, when the first bird championship, they beat Houston. And he remember he had to run in with Moses, and he's coming back. There are thousands of people at City Hall. You're, you're going to get an athlete to step up today and say, and guess what? Moses eats shit. Everybody's <laughs> going crazy. <laughs> Can we? Well, I guess, you know, I guess Boston heroes are defined by foul language in public, whether it's Larry Bird or David Ortiz. I mean, if you pass the test, you're in. But we, you know what? You missed that. You're not going to, you're like, people are now very careful, very polished, and again, they, they know they can manipulate. How about when Chauncey would walk in the locker room, Ortiz would be screaming at him the minute he walked <laughs> in there. You know, that's, again, can't get it back, but I think one thing that your show can do is show what it was like and, and what it could have been. And uh, that's the way it is. It's called showbiz. It is. That's exactly uh, what it's called. So what did you think, Belichick? I missed that whole conversation. Just a quick recap. Is he going to stay with the Patriots until he passes Shula? Or do you, or is he going to check out early? Whether Kraft he'll, no, he'll, he'll never check out. And, I, and I, I, w I will remind your audience that the greatest coach, in my opinion of all time, Paul Brown, Three years after he came, three or four years after he continued to lose or not quite make the championship game, the greatest coach in history was fired. And there's no reason why, um, if Belichick doesn't produce this year after that disaster, I can't remember, by the way, any coach in history uh, that wanted to continue to win would bring in two cronies that every player and everybody told them uh, could not do the job. Uh, Joe Judge, and he was brought in, and that's another problem I have here, too, is because I remember having this conversation one day with John Shula about signing players to contracts. I was the personnel director, we had a general manager, and, and we did the signing of the contracts. And he said to me one day, he said, you know what? I never want to be in a position of signing or having to negotiate or getting angry at a player in contract negotiations. He said the coach should be separate from the general manager. And if I, if I pick one thing that has been really bad here, put aside what's happened lately, is, is Kraft turning around, I don't know whether to save money or not, and my making Belichick the general manager as well as the football coach. What you do, number one, is you end up, as we saw all the people here, by pissing your players off because they know uh, that they're not only being judged on what they do on the field, but this guy's in charge of my contract. Never should have happened. And look at all the players that left here. Look at all the players that were bitter over a period of time. And the only thing that offset it was they continued to win, but they also had Brady. So I never would have had Belichick, and I think it's still a big mistake uh, to have him do it. The second thing is, as far as those two coaches are concerned, I can't think of, I'm going back 60 years to think about 
even the smaller coaching staffs, where a coach brought in two guys totally incapable of running an offense with a rookie, essentially a second-year player, and getting away with it. Because I will tell you this, I think many of the owners in the past would have said, okay, you're going to do this, but if it fails, you go with it. That's what I would have told them. And, and, and in my case, I, I just think now it's going to go on and on and on. But you're, will you return to glory? I don't think so. Speaking of on and on and on, we've been going on and on for almost an hour and a half here. So uh, let's see after the... Uh... I can do six hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're, we're not the same guy as we once were. <laughs> oh. Upton, you were great, as always. Thanks so much. I'm sorry I messed up the middle by dropping out and going. We couldn't find you. We kept looking for you down there. We couldn't find you. We thought you slipped. You know I knew I was coming back. I just forgot to tell you. <laughs> All I can say is it only happens every three or four years. But it's great to have you guys on my show. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Upton. Bye-bye. For Upton, for Lobby, I'm Lynchy. That's on Anchored Boston. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. See you, Mike. Unanchored Boston is a presentation of Unanchored Media, a Burke Advertising LLC company. For show information, visit unanchoredboston.com.